countless hours looking through paper, looking for something. That's what I was doing in Norwich in the UK. There's not a lot in No offense to anyone from Norwich, but Pete, Pete who's from London, oh, really? can attest that there's not a lot going on in Norwich. Um, so I was basically in like a concrete bunker um, looking at just paper. And then I came across this word menu, and I was like, what is going on with this? And then, and it was super elaborate, and basically, like, tons of protagonists that I had in education were on. Like, the menu was so fancy that it had, like, the kind of glitterati, like, the, the seating arrangement even on it, and, like, the guest list on it. Noted. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, given that also, like, it's a time of interwar rations, it was pretty alarming that Cropius is having, like, very splendid Splendid food. Like, what kind of food was uh, being served at this dinner party? It was like five courses of like finishing a port, and you know, like there's like a wine course with every, you know what I mean, like wine pairing with everything, and like there's, I don't know, it's like turtle soup and whatever else you would eat at that time. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, but I was just really struck by like oftentimes when you, you know, as someone who's trained in architectural history, you you know, you can have a kind of biography around a person, but rarely do you actually find a kind of material that attests to the kind of social stature of that person, right? And, and it's usually secondary research, secondary sources that you're reading that kind of attest to that. So it was really interesting to be able to just look at that and look at how the food actually was somehow an index of his lifestyle, his social circles, which I already was aware of, like all of that. And so that for me then, it started to really kind of press upon me the whole problem in some ways of like, um, what what do you do with like a legacy like a Bauhaus that touts you know these kinds of democratic socialist values in a way like and it's really kind of the like crux of modernism right yeah this is where modernism which is very large over us now uh, started yeah I mean it's I mean I'm like when you're kind of teaching an architectural history lecture course I literally just came from it so um, but it's interesting like having these discussions with students like undergraduate students explaining to them well so this is what they claimed that this project around like art and industry was about, about a kind of, you know, kind of socialist democratization of, you know, life and all this stuff. But then when you look at the director, the former director of this school, it doesn't totally align with like sort of the status of the commodities in the Bauhaus today, and it certainly doesn't align even then with his lifestyle. So it was a bit of like, for me, um, and I also, I think, you know, as an historian kind of reckoning with questions of history, like what do you do with and this is, I think, a larger question that I think a lot of people in the kind of cultural consciousness are dealing with. Like, what do you do with problematic histories? Hmm. And I mean, food becomes this vehicle for really discussing not only uh, the political space and the historical moment, but also class and how right. um, these artists and designers were the glitterati before they left Europe and how they kind of brought this um, this 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 message of um, democratic design to the United States, but they themselves were participating in a kind of um, cultural moment that was maybe not exactly in line. Yeah, I mean, it also like, um, I don't know, I kept thinking also about like Gropius' status as an immigrant at the time, and given that, you know, it, you know, in our political <laughs> system today, like the kind of like um, position of immigrants is like, you know, characterized in a very particular way, but in, but it was interesting how like most people don't think about Europe, you know, you'll use the word emigre to talk about a European kind of like expat or something that ends up in the, in the US, for example. So, you know, Gropius, for example, was like, he's an immigrant and he had to contend with leaving Germany, but he also was in a very privileged place. So it was sort of like a moment where I was thinking a lot about how food became a, a, 
a way to kind of think through all of these aspects of his identity and not to denigrate the guy, but like, but to actually sort of make it more complex, right? Mm -hmm. Make and and we tend to think about like issues like immigration today as very kind of. Um, you know, positioned as like an issue oftentimes with people of color, for example. So, but to think then about his status as an immigrant, and but also the special status he was afforded, so on and so forth. Sure. So, food was like a really interesting way to kind of untangle some of these, some of these issues. And then it became a vehicle for you to start actually dealing. What kind of it, disentangling some of these questions for yourself and and the work that you were doing for your thesis in Le Corbusier. Um, in your bedside apartment, right? Yeah. Um, so can you talk a little bit about the kind of genesis from this idea that you, the, the menu that you kind of started bringing up all these questions to, okay, I'm gonna start playing with some really interesting puns, hosting these participatory events in my own space and kind of starting to dig through some of these questions I have. Yeah, um, I, well, I mean, a lot of people who came to some of these events or dinners. Like, Can we like have a little show of hands for like the OGs here? I think, I think like most people will, who can't, I'm looking right at you. <laughs> <laughs> I think most people who were at these, they're like, they don't want to, they don't want to be on the spot, but um, <laughs> like they were pretty innocuous. It wasn't intended, like they, I think when people think of like, uh, like a performative event, people think it's like, I don't know. Like mm -hmm. they expect like some kind of like black and white documentation of this like performance, you know, and for me, it, it really was like pretty basic. Like I just, I was wrestling with these questions around sort of, I think I was just wrestling questions around like what to do with history in a way, mm. in the back of my mind. But why food? Like why did food then become the vehicle for this historical well, question? I think in a way, like at first I thought, okay, well maybe, what if I try like recreating, in a very like um, method acting kind of way, like what if I recreate this menu and somehow via the method acting of like eating turtle soup, which I didn't do. I didn't recreate the menu, but maybe some way I'll kind of be able to grapple with some of these issues I have around, I don't know, these figures I study and yet I just have a lot of problems with sort of their politics and I don't know. Like Michael Bouzier himself, right? Yeah, I'm just like we won't even go there. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot with that guy, but um, I, but you know, I, and but I don't know. So I think a lot of it was really unconscious. Mm. I'm starting to realize. I think, you know, how you have like the right hemisphere, left hemisphere. My right hemisphere and left hemisphere don't really talk to each other enough. I think, and I think my right hemisphere wanted to just kind of do these things intuitively, but I didn't. I don't know, I thought they were, I just thought it would be really funny. And did you cook honest. a lot before you started this? I, I would podcast. say I like, was an avid cook. Yeah. Well, I fed a lot of people yeah. in this room. Like, yeah, I fed you guys. And so, then yeah. the hospitality part of it as well. Not yeah. Yeah. Why would you stay up at night being like, oh, Chris Burton shooter? Like, oh my God, it has to be like, you know what I mean? Like, why would you do that? I don't know. I did it, but I don't know why you would do it. But there's something about the absurdity and the futility that I really enjoyed, probably because it was like so unproductive in a way. Well, let's you know? actually talk about that. What is that process like? Because you have over 60 artists and designers that you call out and you marry them with these really interesting recipes. And some of them, I'm like, oh yeah, of course. But then others, I'm just like, I love, really, the, my favorite part of the cookbook is actually the little biographical kind of intros that you have for each recipe, which you also created. But I want to hear a little bit about how you decided, like, 
CRISPR and shooters. I mean, the art piece, obviously, but how did it become what it ended up like an, a cocktail? <laughs> I, I I feel like I don't know. I don't know. It just there was something really funny about like like getting over the pretense of these canonical works, which I had spent so much of my life studying <laughs> and wanting to emulate or something being told I should emulate them. That there was something about that that was really deeply funny to me about just making it really silly, to mm -hmm. be honest. And then also most of the people that I invited are people that, you know, like art and designers. Yeah, art artist designers, people who are very aware of the kind of stature of these people. So it was something kind of just something about the pleasure of it that was really nice. But um but in terms of like coming up with the recipes, I mean I don't know. I like the pun system just started to kind of take shape. It was really a pun. It had to work as a pun. Like, I'm really upset that I didn't include a Danish Kapoor. Oh. Yeah. So good. You know what I mean? Like, how do you let that go when you're in the grocery store? How do you let that go? When that goes, you know? And that's how it started. I was like, oh, Walter Dieter Earthworm Cake. Yes. Delicious. And then I just started, like, writing, making a list on my phone. But then also, I mean, like, I would call up my friends or we would have these group, like, Jaffer knows. We would have like text messages, like, okay, what about what, what, you know, what about this person or what about that person? And people would. I mean, Rosalind Sauerkraut is because of these. <laughs> <laughs> is that in the cookbook? It no. sure it is. Oh. <laughs> and, and the sauerkraut is on a grid. Ooh, <laughs> um, what did I say about grids? Yes, yeah. and I mean, and that actually goes to the still life photography that you also produce. I mean, when we first met, I didn't realize that you were also producing all of the artwork for the yeah. book as well. Can you talk a little bit about kind of staging and also putting together the, the beautiful, I mean, I'm going to just do a little show and tell while Esther talks, um, but the, the photography is incredible in the book. Um, well, so before going into architectural history, I studied photography. And I hadn't made a photograph in years prior to this book. So I think this book was like my gateway drug into shooting again. But um, like, I basically, I was working with a very limited budget and I was also shooting film, which is very expensive. So I, I just started to take it as a challenge basically, like working within an economy of means. So a lot of the props in it are like, there was a marble, I don't know, a marble manufacturer, what do you call it, fabrication place across the street, and I would like just be this weird person that would show up and like get offcuts from them at the end of the day, and people were like, why are so the weird girls here, we just like put them aside for her. So I would just basically get stuff from Home Depot or whatever, you know, and so it really was scripted on like, can this material have some kind of conceptual connection to the artist or designer, but then also, what do I just have? Um, I had onions that day, so I put onions, you know what I mean? Like, it was, and, and also when you think about food, food photography has its own kind of, like, issues, I think, um, so scripted by, like, capitalism, basically, and, um, and there's this, like, sheen of perfection that needs, you know, and I, I had shot commercially before, and there's a kind of expectation around how food should be presented, which is really about selling something. And so in approaching the food as sculpture, it completely liberated me from having to deal with any of that. And that's kind of interesting, the kind of economic strictures around shooting these very 
um, commercial artists and designers who are very much kind of defining, you know, capital A artists, capital D designers um, of, you know, they're, they're being collected all over the world. Um, so, you know, I have this question around, you know, what does it mean to actually eat an artist using, um, you know, materials that are just in every single pantry, like, you are know, like, I have onions, so I'm gonna use some onions today. Yeah, I don't, I, for me it wasn't so much about literally eating a human being, but <laughs> like, the idea of, like, what does it mean to consume a narrative about a person, right? Like a narrative about a canon, like a canonical human, like, you know, canonical artist or whatever. And and then all of a sudden, what does it also mean to replicate that? Like, replicate that narrative, in a sense, but through means that are, like, completely accessible, mm -hmm. and, you know, or relatively accessible. Can you go a little deeper? What do you mean by narrative? Like, so, for example, with the Freddie Otto? Or, like, Otto. the idea of Jackson Pollock. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, like there are certain figures that hold a kind of stature in art and design history, in like the kind of in collections, you mm -hmm. know, like in a curatorial sense, even in auctions. And there's a kind of valuation around that. And so, I think I mean, there's like, a lot of different aspects to this project, but I think for me, there was that question of like, well, like, what does it mean to like consume that narrative in that sense, right? But then reproduce it in a way that is never going to measure up to that original, mm -hmm. but it's, that's not really the point, you know? Like, sure. I mean, I actually think that one of the, one thing that I found really interesting in your introduction is that you really encourage people to improvise with the book, and in fact, throughout the book, there's like moments where you're like, yeah, just take whatever you have in your, your pantry, and you should use that instead. Um, so given kind of how people typically cook now, which is like watching YouTube, or like, it's very like kind of elaborate things. Um, can you talk a little bit about why that was so important in your book to encourage people to kind of use it as what you call like a script? Yeah, well I was trying to create a kind of parallel between process art, the, the use of text and instructions in process art or conceptual art practices, um, and then the use of text in fluxus scores <laughs> and then recipes, right? So there's always this idea around like the authorial, there's a script, but there's like an authorial will of the person that is like actually engaging in that action. And um, for me, recipes are super interesting because they're like inherently copies for some imaginary original that you probably never experienced, right? So, um, and in that sense, like they invite a kind of rewriting, a kind of post-production. Um, so, and like Alex Lynn, I don't know if he's here, I don't think he is, but um, who designed the book, super brilliant, and and Jenna Young, who also designed the book, um, like even typographically, they were trying to pick up on that in the design of the book, this kind of parallel between all of three things. Um, so, um, so for me, yeah, it's really important that people not see them as like a guide, like a you know rubric that ha cannot be, you know, the point of it is that it's a prompt for then you to create something different. And besides, like any, any recipe book that I have at home always has weird notes in the margins where I'm like, okay, you know, I know one it this much, but I'm gonna put in this much, you know? And that's sort of, that's how you make it your own, right? And I think, but that's sort of also, if you think about, not to be super, clearly I'm like trying to get over, I finished my PhD and I'm like clearly getting over my like architectural history issues, but I think part of it is also that, like, 
you learn a certain history and at some point you have to kind of figure out what to do with it, right? Like you mm -hmm. inherit a kind of legacy and then at some point you have to figure out like what do I take from it and what do I, how do I rewrite this in my own way? And I think food, especially for immigrants in the United States is, and for us here in New York, is one of the most powerful vehicles for kind of recognizing, reckoning, and kind of um, consuming culture here in you know, in our kind of contemporary environment, which I think is super interesting. Yeah, I mean, food for me is so political. Like, I can, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, yeah. I, I mean, food is political. It is so political, but us also, I mean, I was just, um, I think I was writing something down the other day about it. Like, my family is, my family's from all over the place. It's like a Benetton ad. But, like, when I was growing up, the, you know, dinner table spread was, like, at Christmas time was, like, Lasagna, mango salad from Barbados, kimchi. Like, none of it went together at all. I really and want to come to your Christmas. Yeah, you're welcome to. <laughs> it, really, it was very, you had to get really good at figuring out the boundaries of what could, you know, like, lasagna can't touch, you can touch the kimchi, but it can't touch the mango salad. You know, like, you had to figure out the how to partition. But, anyways, my point though is that, like, for me, at a very young age, you know, it became a way to just, it was very intuitively about migration, about struggle about class, like all these things in my family. And um, so, and also I think if you grow up like, you know, you're a Korean kid and your mom packs you kimchi and lunch, like you can't bring it to school. Cause I mean, now it's funny when I meet kids in like, you know, Borum Hill and they're like, I love kimchi, you know? It's like, <laughs> like, oh my God, I love fermentation. It's like, really? Because, you know, 40 years ago when I was like bringing this to school, people would stone me if I had like, 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 it would be the end of me. I think that a lot of, yeah. a lot of immigrant kids can definitely 100%. attest to that yeah. experience. And so a lot of this is relative to like fish sauce, smell of like what, you know, at one point is something acceptable and not acceptable. When it, once it becomes kind of appropriate or commodified in some way. And I think it's also interesting because food is so emotional and it does, it is very much um, rubber because it has a very specific context, whereas a lot of the artists that are kind of being riffed on in the book come from a world of modernism that kind of pretends that modernism is like almost universal, almost without emotion, it's for right. everybody. And I think that yeah. that kind of juxtaposition is super, um, it, it, it really call it, for me, underlined how, how emotional and yeah, just how emotional art and design should be and why it's not kind of considered a value within this modernist conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I will say too though, like we had a lot of discussions around the canon, mm -hmm. like what, you know, what, who to include in this book. Mm -hmm. And so at one point, you know, like at one point, on one hand you want, you, like you want it to be accessible and you want people to have, you want to have recognizable names. Unfortunately though, like, Recognizability in art history usually means white male <laughs> recognizability. So, um, so there was a lot of discussion around that, and like, how do we, how do, like, how can I, um, you know, actually start to put in people that I really admire, right? So it's not just like a kind of negational project where I'm like poo pooing bad modernist architects. Although that's fine too, but uh, they're in there. But um, but there are like a lot of people that I. Who's, who's like, yeah, like who? Who were you like? Yeah, that person needs to be in here, even if this other person's not really into it. 
In a, in a bad way? Oh, no, in a good way. Oh. You're like, you're like, you're like, no, 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 no. You're like, no, like, you wanted to have people that you really respected in the book that may not I mean, I love, like, I like. I mean, a lot of these are so, like, um, Helio Itisica, um, Itisica, I love, like, um, Faith, you know, Ringgold. Yeah, I just, tons of, mm -hmm. yeah. So, um, like, Eva Hesse, like, yes. tons of works I love. So, it's as much, like, you know, as much as it is a critical project, there's also an element where it is me paying ode to a lot of people that I think are, you know, important. Absolutely. So, and I think, yeah. um, and the last question I wanted to ask you was really about this idea of art vita that you have at the very front of the book, that it's really about how we, how food can be a vehicle for bringing art into the everyday life. Mm -hmm. and. Um, I wanted you to kind of talk a little bit about how cooking and hospitality specifically um, really play into this and, and how the book can help facilitate this as well. Yeah, I, I, my hope is that this book isn't like a book about entertaining mm -hmm. in like a really liberal way. You know? <laughs> like, you need to buy everything at restaurants. with other people, you know, and to kind of like push against this move around privatization. Mm -hmm. So for me, like, you know, I when I talk about like hospitality and the politics of hospitality, it's really not this kind of like, um, you know, picture perfect. Um, that's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in this idea that we can generate experiences that can initiate conversations with people and um, yeah, and try to like kind of push against this like idea of privatization, but also just do it with ordinary things. You know, it doesn't have to be fancy. And so for me, like, also you know, with the events that I would put on, I I bet you like most people that attended them probably wouldn't even call them events. Really, like they were just kind of weird gatherings of different scales. But sometimes they were super um, kind of furtive in a way. You know, like I would just make a key sharing and like serve it to my friends. <laughs> Can you pass the quiche herring? Like, you know what I mean? And there's something kind of funny in that, but also something I thought really interesting in that, that, like there's this um, artist named um, uh, Diane Borsato, from, she's Canadian. She did this project many years ago in Vancouver where she went around just touching strangers. Just kind of like, okay. <laughs> but then the whole project was like, like you've been touched by Diane Borsato, right? And so, but what I found really interesting was that there was this conversation with this curator, um, Kathleen Ritter, and this art historian, performance historian, um, Jessica Wyman, and they talk about like the furtive gesture, like in performance, the furtive gesture. What about the gesture that can't be photographed, measured? There's no like spectacle around it. There's no like framing around that thing. Um, and so that's kind of how I see this project. Like there's a way in which the smallest things can actually, I think, have a really profound effect, but also be seen as aesthetic gestures in their own way. Um, and you know, you don't need an art historian to write about it necessarily. They can just kind of be in the world. So, and and I find that to be, especially in like these political times, like a very deeply, a deeply profound gesture. Yes, a proposition. So. Well, thank you, Paige, for letting us come oh, to your space you. and feeding us and. Um, 
inviting us to kind of participate in this little yeah. moment. So thank you for making incredible things and sharing them with the world. I'm um, happy to do it. Yeah, we're gonna open up the uh, conversation to some Q and A, and I'm gonna have a little bit of wine. So if anyone has any questions, <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Um, I, there's one thing that I wanted to point out that I thought was very interesting. Keith uh, Herring. I read about it, and I didn't know that he grew up in a Dutch uh, Pennsylvania yeah. Dutch town. And then for me, it was interesting that you used a um, onion onion pie, yeah. Dutch onion pie. So to from that, Pennsylvania. From Pennsylvania, <laughs> right? So I was like, you know. We know certain artists and their work, but we don't know what kind of sensations they had when they grew up, mm. what kind of smell or taste um, that was local to them. Mm. So for me, I think that was a really great uh, learning moment about, it was a new dimension that I learned from these artists because of this project. Oh, cool. Just so for those people in the back who may not have heard, um, this gentleman was just talking about the kind of opening uh, sections at the beginning of the recipes that kind of give context, specifically the quiche herring, um, where Esther kind of calls out that he was from a Dutch uh, community and then the use of onions for that, so. Yeah, well, yeah, I, was, I found that really fascinating when I found that out, when I was doing research. And I don't know, just like hearing like, you know, Agnes Martin's story, or it just kind of humanizes people, you know? Which, like, at this point, I'm sorry, I think it's really burnt out. I literally was just teaching architectural history today. But, like, you know, like, you just, at some point, you become kind of disassociated from certain things, and they just become JPEGs, like, in your repertoire of, like, famous artworks or famous mm -hmm. design works. And so I found things like that really interesting. Or even just thinking about, like, okay, Moholy Naj, like a Hungarian mac and cheese, you know, like, and then I just kind of riffed on some story about, like, how he's been at the Bauhaus all day making photograms, and he's just really burnt out, and he's some comfort food, but, like, but I, but, but I, I mean, there was a lot that I learned in the process about, but also, I have to say, like, the food that I was so amazed by researching, when doing research in this book, was the kind of, like, like, just, the kind of simple peasant food, you know? Because also, like, I'm Korean, so I feel like 99% of everything that I've eaten that's Korean is kind of peasant food, you know? We didn't have any money. Koreans didn't have any money. But, like, but you know, it's not, like, an extravagant... Um, and so there was something about that, even, like, Super Studio, like, thinking about Pimposo, like, thinking about, like, the basis of a stew that was so simple that workers would make and then share together. And so that, those kinds of things, for me, were really super, like, they kind of, yeah really interesting for me too. When you were sort of organizing this program, like in your house, I, I know you kind of touched on like the furtive gesture and, and the in, like the inability or, or the, yeah, the, the inability, I guess, or the, to, to sort of like document these things. Like, was there any process of documentation that you kind of underwent or was it more like, you know, research or, uh, or more of like a contemplative follow-up to whatever you were doing out of your apartment? The question was about um, in uh, when Esther was hosting uh, these kind of participatory events for Lake Corpofe at her apartment, like if it was documented in a way um, specifically. There are some like random photos on my phone, but beyond <laughs> that, no. I didn't really want, and I also didn't want photos from anything to be in the book. I didn't want people to be like, oh, this is an amazing party to be invited to, you know? And that's usually kind of how the art food, mm -hmm. you know, like art and food right now are having this moment, you know? 
I mean, it's usually this kind of like rarefied party that I wasn't invited to. You might be invited to, I don't know. But usually used for some kind of like brand equity for some brand that's like, you know. And you can have your dehydrated apricots or whatever and some artful display, and that's fine. But like, I, that's not, I didn't want people to feel like this project was about that in any way. And also it seemed weird to take a photo of like my friends just eating like quiche. Do you know what I mean? Like, because there was nothing to really see. And so it was like this, I don't know. So there are photos, but it was really sorry. just when at some point when we're a little drunk, like taking a photo, but not. I'm sorry to interrupt. That's why this why? is good and so refreshing and why I oh. love it so much. Because <laughs> you, you really do miss dehydrated apricots in an artful display. Me too. Speaking of artful displays though, there is a Wafati Maria Earthroom cake in the back for all of you to enjoy <laughs> artfully. Artfully, yeah. Um, can I just say really quickly, I'm going to totally put you on the spot. Alex Lynn is here, people. He designed this book. Oh. Genius. He's being really shy. It's just because say hi. Oh, whatever. You should all accost him after and ask for an autograph. He's like super brilliant. But um, I feel like I owe it all to Janet. What's that? Janet also. I know, but is she here? Okay. Well, Jenna's not here. Jenna. I'll give Jenna a shout out if she's here. She Jenna is actually the plug because she also designed this last issue of Mold. She did? Mm -hmm. Oh, I did. Wow. I didn't know that she designed this until I saw it on the studio on Instagram. Yeah. Wow. If you can see Jenna on the street, you should give her a big shout out. That is amazing. Um, any other questions? Oh, wait. Annie, sorry. We'll do yeah. Annie in the yeah. end. Go ahead, Annie. Yeah. I'm here teaching undergrads. Yeah. yeah. What is on their mind these days? <laughs> 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 undergrads' minds? Yeah. With regards to what you're teaching, because my undergrad experience yeah. was like a decade ago. It just seems like the world's really shifted in the way we're thinking about food and where it sits. So they don't know that I'm doing this project at all. <laughs> <laughs> undergrads at other schools know, but not. I don't think the, the students at the school that I'm teaching it now have any idea, and I keep it on the DL. I just do not engage. Like, okay. one student started talking to me about his love of food, and then I was like, oh, interesting, I, I'm working on a project of food, and he just, like, shut down and didn't want to even engage, so I was like, oh, okay, and then I left. Um, I don't, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know, I don't really know what they think about food. We talk a lot about like the problematics of history and sort of like modern architecture and the kind of like overwhelming, uncritical embrace of modernization that has led us into the situation where we have 12 years to turn things around. So clearly there's a problem with the way that we've been doing things. They sort of get it, but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the brains are forming, I don't know. So, yeah. um. Um, yeah, to answer your question, I'm actually an <laughs> undergrad at Pratt Institute, but... I don't know you, My professor's over here. Um, but I was on track to become a culinary, like, like a chef before I went into design. And it's just very interesting to see how... I feel like I come from another perspective, where it's from food to design, not design to food. And um, were you talking about, like, you creating these, like, events? It's not really a question, it's like wanting to share my experience. Sometimes I would just like 
cooking is the way I really stress, and I will make a lot of food that I don't ever eat. Um, and I'll just call my friends, like, I made, like, a whole pork shoulder, like, do you want to come and eat it? <laughs> and then we just, like, a whole pork shoulder happened, sort of that. So. Yeah, to your house. Just like, the pork shoulder. Caveat, I finished my dissertation recently, but this was how I didn't do my dissertation, basically, because I was, like, losing my mind over it. So, yeah, I very much, I very much relate. Yeah. But... But that's sort of the point of this project. It's not. It's not meant to emulate any. You know what I mean? Like it's not meant to emulate some ideal. It's like everyone can do it. Like, it's a really basic message, but it's true. I also think young people are very interested in the optics of eating. Um, as somebody who who writes a lot about this, and I think that that's like a. I think that Esther was really brilliant for using the photography as both a critique but also as a vehicle for thinking about these ideas around food and so it's very provocative i mean it's really interesting and again using these kind of everyday materials <clears throat> in constructing these like beautifully um thoughtful still lives i think is also super uh, important i would like to point out though that like i mean if there's any i'm sure there are very serious bread bakers especially during orchestras but my bread is really bad. Like, there's, like, a lot of... It's not... I'm not a good bread... You know what I mean? And so there's a lot of stuff in here where it's just not technically... It's also kind of the point. Yeah. The kind of imperfection of, like, the homemade and versus the kind of perfectionism of, like, universal design or, like, yeah. the artist's touch. Well, it's not the money shot, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I shoot for a magazine, they want the money shot, you know, mm -hmm. like... The like listening on the windowsill. That's not. That's not. You know. Mm -hmm. I, no one makes bread like. Maybe someone does. Somewhere. There are bread artists. Yes. Yes. Of you're course. Re you're rewriting the history of architecture of the bread. I'm just showing that there's lots of like <laughs> mistakes in bread making, amongst <laughs> other things. But that's for me. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I find that very interesting. Any other questions? Are we ready for Walter and Maria cake? Are we drinking? <laughs> 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 <laughs>